What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. And today we're joined by one of my favorite athletes of all time, Lindy Barber. Not only is Lindy Barber one of the most decorated CrossFit athletes of all time, having participated in the games as an individual and won the games as a team athlete, but Lindy Barber is also somebody who is extremely, extremely relatable. Um, She's the kind of person who you meet her and you just want to tell her all of your problems because you know she wants to solve them. Um, What I found was extremely interesting about interviewing Lindy was that we had the opportunity to talk about the mindset of the highs and the mindset of the lows from a perspective that most people don't get to have. Because while Lindy has won the CrossFit Games on a team and qualified as an individual, Lindy has also had to take herself out of competition and exercise altogether for six months when she broke her back back in 2011 in a place where she was already going to be successfully competitive in CrossFit. So not only is Lindy relatable to people on an aspirational level, on a coaching level, on an athletic level, but she can speak from a place of knowledge from when things go wrong, which allows everyone in the world who has a hard time understanding how somebody as effective as her in her sport could possibly understand what they're going through, she gets it. Not going to make you wait any longer. I'm going to get right to this interview with Lindy Barber, and you guys are going to love it. Here we go. All right. So we are very lucky to, I hate using the word lucky, we're fortunate, right, to have one of my favorite people who I've ever worked with, and that's the truth. Aw, you're so sweet. Yeah, thanks. I've been called worse. (laughs) Uh, Lindy Barber is on the show with us today. So welcome, Lindy. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, um... One of the things that I think um, you have the most experience with that people don't necessarily either remember or know about because CrossFit has grown so much in the last five years, right? I mean, what was the first year that you qualified as an individual athlete to the games? 2013. 2013. So next year will be the five-year anniversary of your first year qualifying. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I opened my gym in 2011 and it was like, I mean – I remember bouncing a 135 pound snatch off of my head. Yeah. And it was like, wow, you got 135 pounds up. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, if you want to be a 14 to 15 year old girl, that's a, that's a decent, that's a decent lift. <laughs> probably not, probably not even though. It's I know. Big. I know. It's brutal. It's <laughs> so brutal. Yeah, it's, really. it, CrossFit for me is falling into uh, the category of all competitive sports where I don't play competitive sports anymore because I'm too competitive. I don't know how to play for fun in anything. Yeah. And I'm not that good at CrossFit. So I'm like, <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I, just a training stimulus, just a training stimulus, rub my ears, relax. It's okay that right. that guy beat you by seven minutes on a 10 minute workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's getting really hard, really is. Which which actually, and um, you know, we'll, we'll, sidebar right away, I actually think is a good thing. And I think yeah. it's a good thing because I remember 2011, 2012, when people were like, oh, you're a good athlete. You could probably compete at the games. And and there was a, a plethora of people who thought they could. Yeah. And now it's a little bit different. It's very different. It's 
very, I mean, I even, even in back in, so 12 was my first regional as an individual and getting to regionals in 12 and 13 was, uh, at the time, if you were a decent enough athlete and you put enough work into it, like a relatively quote unquote, easy thing to do. You could work really hard. You could still do one workout a day and you could go to regionals. Now that's not even close to possibly the case to being able to even just make it to regionals, not even to make it to the games. Like we're not even talking that far yet, but even just to make it out of the open into regionals is now like an excessively hard thing to do. And it wasn't nearly as much back then. I mean, what it was in 2010, I think you could just sign up and show up. It's crazy. The intensity that has in picked up in the last seven, five years in the sport. It is. And, and what are your thoughts on the way that people essentially are, are treating that? Right. So what I mean by that is being a competitive athlete and being somebody who's really fit are two different things. Right? You can For be, sure. you can be yeah. fit and not be competitively fit. And I think that that's something that people now understand yeah. When they see that the entry weight in a one rep max snatch at the games is like 250 for the men right. and, you know, 175 for the ladies, 165, right. whatever it was. Um, so do you think that's a, a good thing or do you think that's a bad thing for the person who's working out in the gym? So here's it's funny because I've actually had this conversation with myself and with other people many times because I obviously am a competitive athlete in the sport. However, I am also a coach to many athletes who have no desire to be that competitive athlete and all they want to be is fitter than the person that they were yesterday. So I have a very like different, I have two different feelings about the CrossFit, the sport, and then CrossFit, the fitness. And I think it's important for CrossFit in general to continue to make sure that they show the world that there's a big difference between those two things. So it's also like an interesting thing to me that they, it's now on CBS, but the last couple of years it's been on ESPN and the, the images that the normal person sees on this ESPN and on CBS now that is getting them into the CrossFit gym is not the desire that I would ever want them to try to achieve unless they're like young and they actually understand what goes into it. But I wouldn't want that person to come into the gym expecting it to be that kind of an atmosphere. So it's almost like the thing that we're drawing people into the gyms with is not anywhere close to the thing that we're going to be recommending for 99.9% of the people that walk into the gym. And so now, it's kind of like a hard disconnect between the two. Well, so, so, so what do you think it is about fitness in general, right? Because we're talking about CrossFit, but it's really, it's fitness that, that makes it so different than baseball, for example. You know, you if you watch professional baseball yeah, and then you go join a, a men's rec league baseball team, you're still playing the same sport. Yeah. And it's not necessarily dangerous to play that sport as hard as you would if you were in the pros. Right? Yeah. So it's nine innings. It's going to be X amount of outs, 27 outs each team. It's over. Yeah. But CrossFit's not really like that. No, it's not. It's, I think it's, and I also think it's a big difference because people that go into, people don't expect to become professional baseball players as easily as I think that they expect to do better at CrossFit because they get in, they get into the gym and they do workouts and they feel the exact same type of pain that we feel the same, like struggle and hurt and burn that all the athletes that are at the CrossFit games are feeling and that you are witnessing is the same kind of pain that you feel as a brand new newbie athlete in the gym. So it's almost like, I think that they feel that they should be able to progress quickly because they see the results of years and or years potentially of really hard work of these individual athletes. And they think that because they're 
feeling this like ridiculous pain in the gym and they feel like that they're going through all of the same struggles that they should be progressing to the same rate as quickly without taking genes and lifestyle and previous backgrounds before they, before all these athletes started cross it into consideration, as opposed to when you're watching like a professional baseball and then you go play rec league baseball, you're not going to rec league baseball, anticipating that you're going to get a whole lot better at baseball to eventually make it to that pro game. You know what I mean? They know pros that are there are getting paid lots and lots and lots of money. And they are also assuming that all the pros there have spent lots of years to eventually get to that pro status. But they also hear that there's athletes that make it to the games within six months of having started CrossFit. So they hear that this is like, oh, that's a completely achievable, whatever they did it, I can absolutely do it. So I think that there's just, it's a little bit different because they're experiencing the same thing and they feel like they know what it feels like to go through the struggle to get there without like understanding that, you know, Instagram and ESPN and all the stuff that you see in all the videos is only the the good days. It's only the good stuff that you're going to see. They don't actually see the like terrible amounts of pain and work and tears and frustrations that go into the years of training leading up to that moment that you see on TV. I I agree with that. I I also think that there's a a level of you know, if somebody walks up to a to a plate with a baseball bat and someone throws 100 miles an hour in their direction, they don't ever fathom that they just have to get stronger in order to hit that. Yeah. But there's kind of a level of like, wow, I need a lot of experience to even be able to foul that off or yeah. to not duck out of the way of it when it's seven feet away from me. Yeah. Where in CrossFit, I think that there's a level of if I just got stronger – I could do that. And that's what this is all designed to do. It's to make me stronger. Yeah. But so you've competed now for, you qualified in 2012. We're now in 2017. So you've been competing for at least five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've made it as an individual. You've made it as a team athlete. Yes. Would you say that today, the amount of work required to be a competitive team athlete at the games is commensurate with the amount of work required to be an individual back in 2012, 13? mostly yes. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I would just say that there are, it depends for me on the current team that I'm on and the expectations and standards that are set for me now. I'm working way harder now as a team athlete than I ever was in 2012 or even close to probably in 2013 when I was trying to qualify as an individual. I still think just because of the differences between the individual competition and the team competition, there are definitely still some teams that, qualify that didn't expect to qualify that I'm not, I'm not discounting them in any way, shape or form, but I know that it's a good thing that there's still athletes who probably wouldn't have been able to make it to regionals as an individual that are still able to compete at the games on a team because they are, it's still a team aspect, but they have helped their team enough, obviously to be able to make it to the games. I just don't think that the team competition in general, especially with six people, because six people is a lot of people to handle on a team and that many teams has quite risen overall to the level as the, as the individuals have. Does that make sense? Sure. It does. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you're talking about what are the 40 teams? That's 240 athletes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Who, who, by the way, some of whom could probably compete individually, but most, the vast majority could not. Correct. Yes. So, so you're looking at people who either have a gaping hole or, or a gaping hole, right? I mean, it's relative. But, right. but who have a hole um, or people who, for whatever reason, feel more comfortable in a team environment. Right. Or, or don't have the desire and the drive to even want to try as an individual. Right. 
because it's really hard. It's so. really hard. And and you're yeah. by yourself. You're on an island. Yeah, exactly. And, and exactly. people, I've heard it said before, people have no idea how much you have to suck. I mean, how, how great you have to be to suck, to suck at the CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah, that was me twice. Like, I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> Um, the other thing I've heard recently is that, it, you know, it used to be that, you know, to, to go to regionals as a team, you had to have really good open level athletes. And to go to the games, you had to have a few athletes who maybe could compete at regionals. Yeah. Right? And to win yeah. at the games, you had to have more athletes who could have been regional level athletes on your team. Yeah. Nowadays, to be a team at the games, you need to have a team full of people who could have qualified to regionals or competed at regionals and to win at the games, you need to have athletes who could have competed at the games individually. Yes, for sure. Which is wild. Which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, and it's just the way that the sport is evolving and the more, obviously the more years that go on, the more and more athletes that get into it and the more freak athletes that are just kind of come out of nowhere. And if you don't want to put in the work in individual or you did the individual thing and you're like, uh, God, that's just a lot. And it's not that much fun. Then more and more of those individual athletes, and you can already see the trend happening are going to go to teams, which is just going to make the team competition every single year, just continue to get more and more intense. Yeah. We, we have a, uh, a freak athlete who we work with, who people probably haven't heard of, even though they should have. And by next year, I think that they're going to be like, where the hell did that guy come from? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I love it when that happens, yeah, yeah. He, he oh. he's one of those guys who he's like, yeah, I couldn't. My power snatch was two sixty five, but my squat snatch was one eighty five. Um, I'm sorry, he squat squat snatch was one eighty five, and he's like, so I just worked on your bulletproof shoulders program and overhead positioning, and in two months I got it up to two thirty five. I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a pretty big increase. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a lot. Yeah, it's a big jump. Um, but so you program for people individually, right? You work with, with private clients. I do. Yes. So how is it for you having the conversation with somebody? Because I feel like it's gotta be difficult, right? When, when you picture what you would do in the gym that day, how you would feel and what you'd be willing to endure on that given day versus when you write something for a client, I imagine most of their goals are not the same as yours. Correct. Yeah. So can you talk about kind of what their goals are yep. in general and how you differentiate? This is how I go about doing it for myself, but this is how I go about doing it for them. And this is why. Yeah. So I like, I have always loved coaching. As soon as I started coaching in a gym, I absolutely loved doing it. And then I'm sure as we'll get into here in a little bit, I got injured back in 2011. So I had to work through all of my own struggles with lots of other people to then go get back to at least level to the same athletes that I, that I thought that I was. And then to improve beyond who that athlete was before injury, I then had to figure out for many years and still am essentially every day figuring out how to become better and how much is too much and how much volume is too much for me. So because of the back injury that I had and I had to endure and how much I love coaching and through all of the trial and error of everything that I've done over the last five years, six years, essentially since injury, I felt like it was like essentially self selfish of me to not use all of that knowledge and my love for coaching to help others that are potentially in the same kind of situation, even if they don't have the same goals as me. I felt like I could understand them on such like more of a deeper personal level because I've been through the same struggles that you've been through. So I did, and I got so many messages over the last couple of years, like through all of my 
all of my social media outlets and I just could not respond to every single one of them. Just people that like were wanted inspiration. Well, what did you do? And what if this started hurting and what kind of stretches that you do? And I tried to answer as many as possible until I got to the pipe that was like, this is silly. Like I might as well just actually connect with these people and actually program for them and not just give them this blanket answer, but actually help them to achieve whatever it is that they want. Instead of me two weeks later, wondering if that one girl that messaged me is actually getting better from the stuff I gave her. Like I had this kind of like unsettled feeling of, I hope it helped. Like, I hope that it worked, but I don't really know. And I didn't like that. So I started doing programming individually and put it out there as programming for people that have had back injuries or any kind of injuries that they want to help overcome. But it's turned into a little bit more of just generalized programming. And most of them, yes, do. Probably 75% of them do have some kind of back injury or spinal cord injury at some point in their life that we're trying to overcome. But I also have athletes that are just wanting to become a little bit more competitive in their gym. So for me, it's, I love doing it, but the best part about it is that most of their goals are, I just want to be able to do CrossFit again without pain. And they all went to their doctor who all told them not to do CrossFit anymore. And they all told them that lifting was bad for them and that they might as well, you know, just give it up altogether and whatever, all the same kind of stories that I was the exact same things that I was told. So I love being able to be the outlet for these people to tell them, you have to like, you know, take what your doctor says with a grain of salt because they're just trying to cover their ass and they're saying whatever they feel like is necessary, but they don't actually know what your body's capable of. And with the proper mechanics and the proper strengthening that yes, you can get back into CrossFit and you can do it pain-free and it's an okay thing. So it's in my daily training, because I'm trying to be the highest level competitive athlete that I can be, I take more risks than I would ever allow them to take if their goal is just overall fitness in the gym. So they may see me doing workouts and because I'm pretty open with my social media and the stuff that I do and how I'm feeling day to day, they see me doing whatever these workouts are that then I will get messages about that's like, Hey, that workout looked really cool. Like maybe I can try that. And I'm like, yeah, you can't like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. which is like a little bit of a hard thing. But once I kind of explain to them, I am doing this, my goal through this is to compete at the highest level and potentially to win the CrossFit games of my team. Your goal is to be able to get up in the morning and walk your dog around the park without having pain in your low back. Like uh, the training methodology behind the two is very different. So let me worry about risking it a little bit and pushing it a little bit harder, but I will take the workouts that I do and I will give them to you at a level that I think is safe and will allow you to wake up tomorrow morning with no pain and feel a lot better. So once I actually have that conversation with these people, they start to understand it a little bit more. And then they realize once they get into the workouts that, oh yeah, you're right. That was hard enough. I feel great. And after a couple of weeks, when then I get the messages that are like, oh my God, I deadlifted with no pain, or I can't believe I just did that power clean, or I haven't even had a barbell over my head in two months. This is so great. Then they actually are like, okay, you're right. This is way better than me trying to go back to the way I was before or trying to push myself because they understand that CrossFit as the fitness and that them learning their own bodies and that just being healthy and fit is way better than pushing themselves every day when their goal is just to compete locally. It's just not quite the same thing. So we just kind of have to have like a little sit down chat about what the goal is and what their actual desire is to get them back on a track to know that what I'm doing is not necessarily what they need to be doing. So there's a lot to unload from what you just said. Yeah, sorry. I kind of just go no, on. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, I'll start with this. Um, one of the things that I get in the most trouble for, and I say trouble with, you know, the air quotes, is yeah. when I tell people, you know, you don't need to use a back belt. You don't need to use weightlifting shoes. You shouldn't, yeah. if you feel, 
if you feel like you need to tape your shoulder to exercise, then your shoulder's injured. And if your shoulder's injured, then you don't need to compete unless if you're doing it as your, your pinnacle goal. Yeah. Um, so I get in trouble for that all the time. You know, the, the people on Instagram will, will come across with the, you know, so because I'm not a great athlete, I shouldn't be able to work out with a weight belt. Like how good do I have to be to wear a weight belt? And like, it's, it's not, that's not what I mean. Right. It's not what I mean at all. But, um, I think that something that you are really good at that you maybe give yourself credit for, maybe don't is that your empathy comes across unmistakably. When, When you talk to somebody, it's, it's very, very clear that, okay, Lindy, Lindy is my coach and she cares about me. Yeah. I have to work a little bit harder for that. <laughs> yeah. But now, but now when you, um, when you start working with people, do you feel like there's, do you get that buy-in immediately when you explain to them something like, I know I did that workout and I know that you want to do what I do because what I do is philosophically, what I believe is the most important thing you need to do to be fit, but it's not what you need to do to be fit. Do they buy into that right away or do they have to learn it? Only a couple have immediately bought in because a lot of them, there are definitely people that are coming off of back injuries and that haven't done anything in months. So I have a couple of those. So their easing in is great and it's easy and they're just happy to be doing anything. But with all of my athletes, no matter where they're coming from, I definitely have had some that have been training at a higher level and they have had back pain, but they've been training all the way through the back pain. And then they're coming to me and wanting to continue on with the training that they were, but they want to just magically get better and not take it back a step, which then I have to tell them in these first, in this first month, especially if not for longer than that, depending on how you react to this training, your training right now is going to be a whole lot less than it was a week ago when you, you know, when you have, when you came to me, but you're still having back pain every single day. So unless we tone it back down and start building all over again, you are not going to get that back pain is not going to go away. Cause if I tell you to lift 95 pounds for two reps and then you go and lift 175, like we're just totally not doing anything to actually gain the strength that you need to help you not cure, but help you to, to tone down that back pain that you're currently have. So I've definitely had to fight some people off a little bit. And I have had a couple of people that have left me in the first month or so, because they just don't think that it's what they want, which is totally fine. Um, but the ones that I've been able to talk down and be like, just trust me for a month. And then after a month, I promise you it'll get a little bit better. But then the Metcons that you'll be doing in six weeks will feel a thousand times better than the extra Metcon you're doing behind my back right now. Like I can promise you these things, but you have to trust in me. So I've had a couple that I've definitely had to talk down to, not talk down to, but talk down off of Hi, I have to have programming. I have to do volume. I have to do all these things, which honestly I'm guilty of too, but (laughs) like I get it because I know how they feel because I know how I've been. So it's, I get the people to talk down, but I've definitely had, um, a little bit of hesitation from some athletes with the process that I take them through for sure. And the, 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 the curious thing to me is that those people are finding you because they have a specific yes. need, right? You're not, I imagine, and, and I could be wrong, but you're not getting a lot of people coming to you saying, Hey, never hurt myself. I'm 24 years old. I just missed regionals last year. I'm trying to get to the games. What do I need to do? I've had one and he left within the first month. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, so, no, I don't get very many. <laughs> right. So, 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 so you would think, and I think this is important for coaches to pay attention to because yeah. 
a lot of the time I think coaches feel like, oh, I've told this person to do this and they're not listening. They're just not coachable. Right. Yeah. But people are coming to you specifically because they want the information that, that you have learned through experience. Yes. And through intentional practice. And then when you give them the information, oftentimes they will resist it. Yeah. So even, sure. at, even at the level where they've sought it out, paid for it, and they, they establish the trust with you before they begin, you have to continue earning. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Easily. I mean, and there's, I suddenly think that comes from obviously like self-doubt in them that I feel like a lot of people, once I've like kind of dug into people a little bit more and tried to figure out like, why are you still, or why are you quitting halfway through? Or why do you feel like the end of this week, you just can't do it anymore? Or why are you still emailing me every day and saying that it's not working when we've literally been working for a week and a half? Like what it, like, where is this all coming from? And a couple, most of them, that I've had to have those kind of conversations with has come from self-doubt in some way, shape or form in some other area of their life that like this with me, it, I was the one that they sought out to try to fix this problem. And then they didn't give it enough patience so that a week and a half later, they're still having a little pain and they're like, Oh, this isn't working either. Like this also is some other area of my life that of course is going wrong. So we've had to like talk about that a little bit and figure out where that's coming from and then get them to trust into me that like this process, as long as you stick with me, I promise you it will pay off, but this is something you have to believe in. Like this is something you kind of have to let go of and just do what I'm telling you to do. Then you can go and worry about whatever those other problem areas that are in your life. And like that stuff you can work on. This is nothing you need to worry about. This is something that you just go into the gym, you enjoy it for the one hour and you know that in eight weeks, you're going to feel a whole lot better. And this is going to now be a high point of your life. But I've kind of had to like work with people a little bit on that as this is not some other failure. Like this is not because of you. You're not ruining this, ruining this on yourself. This is just something that you need to give a little patience to, as opposed to chalking it up to something else that's just never going to get better because everybody has back pain and it's a terrible thing and whatever, I just have to deal with it. So I have to like kind of talk people down from that as well as no, it's not normal. Like it's not a, it's not something that you should just absolutely, no matter what, have to just wake up with and deal with and complain about and feel sorry for yourself with every day. This is definitely something, no matter what injury you've been told that you have is something that we can work with and we can definitely make it better. You just have to trust that what I'm telling you and the training that we're doing is, is going to make it better. Well, I think that what, what you're saying there, and if I understand you properly, it's that when they have something go wrong in the gym, you're having a discussion with them about what outside of the gym is making them feel like that's going wrong. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's a conversation that I have with coaches all the time when we do workshops for coaches, when we have coaches on our staff, it's with all due respect, until you've helped somebody solve a problem outside of the gym, you're not a coach, you're a trainer. Yeah. Right. Because it's, and the difference between a trainer and a coach, I think is, is fairly clear. A trainer executes a program, a coach mentors somebody. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, their life mentor, but, you, but in a way, you are. You kind um, of are. Yeah. yeah and, but, but it takes, they need to know that, that you're in a position of vulnerability as much as they are so that they're not uncomfortable telling you, hey, you know what? I always failed as a kid. I didn't feel like I got approval from my parents because I wasn't a good athlete. And my, my siblings were. And I just, as soon as I go to the gym and I get beat, I feel that again. Like, yeah. You, they need to know they can tell you that. Right. So that you can be the person who's like, well, right now I'm. I'm feeling that parent role as, as it goes for this. And I approve. Yeah. And then you can tell them it's an okay thing. Like mm -hmm. you, 
it's an okay if you go to the gym and you feel like that, just talk to me about it and we can work through it, but know that you can separate the two of them. So you have to like be able to talk through them so that then they trust you as the coach that they're like, Oh, like she's not going to be mad at me because of this thing. Cause I felt this other feeling or this was a terrible day. And I found out this awful news. And then I went to the gym and now she's also going to be mad at me. Like they have to know that they can email me and say, Oh my God, this thing happened. Can we please change this? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Do you want to talk? Do you want to talk more about it? I mean, I've had some athletes that have told me more than I ever thought that they would, but those are honestly some of my favorites because I love to get to know people. That's why I love doing the individual coaching is because the more that I know you and the more that I know how your training is going, the number one, better that I can coach you and better that I can program for you and the better results that we'll get. But also the more like happy and successful we're going to be and the more exciting it's going to be on every single journey because I've you've actually taken me with you. You haven't just given me the results at the end of every week and I just read your numbers and give you more programming. But the more I actually get to know you, the more fun it is and the better results that we'll have in the long run because I actually can feel like I get to know you as a person and make your whole life better as opposed to just this one tiny area that I'm just giving What's up, guys? Dr. Sean here. I just wanted to interrupt the show for a quick moment to remind you that if you're looking for more content from us than we give on this show, you can head to our website, performancecarerx.com. We have links to our YouTube channel, our one-on-one programming options, our Bulletproof programs, seminars, and even assessments and treatment in person linked right there at performancecarerx.com. You guys are amazing. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to this show. We appreciate you following us on social media at Active Life Rx. And I want to get you guys right back to this conversation because I know that's what you're really here for. So without further interruption, enjoy the show. And I think that's something that a lot of elite CrossFit athletes miss. Yeah. And that, you know, there's a lot of athletes out there now who have their program. Follow the the so-and-so program, the so, you know, whoever it's like, I've been a good athlete. Now I have a program. Yeah. And the program to me is, is like the least of it. Yeah. Um, But so you said something earlier that I want to go back to, because I think this is part of the reason why you're probably very successful with the people who you work with. And that is, you said when you got hurt and when your clients get hurt, the doctors just don't know what your body is capable of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit. Okay. I think they do know what the body is capable of. What I think that the doctors are unsure of is what the mind of the person that they're talking to is capable of. Yeah, that's fair. Right. And, 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 and the reason I'm saying that, and the reason I challenge you on is not to say that you were wrong. That's not where I was going with that. It's, it's to say that, um, it's a really powerful thing and that your experience with your injury probably allows you to give people the confidence in what their body is capable of yeah. that they didn't have and that they didn't know that they could have. And doctors aren't doing it because they've never had that experience themselves. Right. Largely. And I'm not, you know, we can't put everybody in the same boat, but I made a post last night actually that said doctors should lead and inspire, not diagnose and discourage. Right. Yeah. Because, because I had a patient come in that day who basically told me that um, she went to an orthopedist for back pain, they did an MRI. They told her she has a disc injury and she can never do yoga again. And she can never do CrossFit again. And she needs to find new things to do with her life. Or if she wants to keep doing those, they can either shoot her up with cortisone or an epidural or they can operate. Yeah. And I was I was actually at the games when she first got hurt. And I said, you know, now we're two weeks out or a week and a half out. I said, how are you feeling now? She's like, I'm about 80% better. Did you get a shot? No. It's just that's how it works. 
yeah. the body will recover. Now it's just about not being afraid to do what needs to be done thereafter. So yeah. can you take us through your injury a little bit? Yeah. Do you want like the whole, the whole long story? <laughs> you, you tell me as much of the story as you enjoy as telling. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, usually when I ask people, can you tell me about your injury? I, I see, I get like a, a big sigh or like a, <laughs> here we go. You just lit up and smiled. So yeah. Tell yeah, me as well, much. I mean, it legitimately is such a massive part of who I am today that it's such a weird, I mean, you know, like cliche saying, but blessing in disguise for sure. Like at the time I thought my world was over, but it has turned into one of the best thing that's happened for my CrossFit career, my personal career. Hold on. And overall, in general, my dog is just freaking out over here. Um, so in 2011, I found CrossFit essentially in the end of 29, start of 2010. Um, when I stopped playing soccer at the University of Dayton, started to become competitive in CrossFit in 2011. Was the first, I did a little bit of CrossFit in 2010. I like went to Logan, Ohio and competed on a team, but had no really idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to do a handstand pushup. I couldn't do a snatch. So like, I don't really consider that being competitive in CrossFit yet. In 20, between after 2010 to 2011 was when I found out essentially that I actually could be competitive. That if I put effort into this, I might be able to be good at it. And then in 2011 was the first time that there was an open. So instead of just signing up for regionals, you now had to actually compete in some way, shape or form. I think at that time it was six weeks instead of five. It was. And I think it was, I think it was the same format. Like you, it was released on a Monday or something and you had to compete or submit it by Friday, something like that. I don't remember because I didn't get it all the way through the open. Mm -hmm. I was three weeks into the open was kind of excited because it was my first time really competing. I had actually done some CrossFit this year. I could actually do all the movements. I was three weeks into the open and I was actually sitting in third at the time of my region. Wow. And then was camped because I was so excited about it. And I was like, wow, I can actually do this. And I'm going to go to regionals. I'm going to be able to compete. And I was on, I was doing back. So at the time I was doing the CrossFit football strength training because I didn't know what else to do. So I found some internet website and CrossFit football was great because there was a lot of deadlifting and a lot of back squatting and being a soccer player, those were things that I could do. I had leg strength, I had posterior chain strength. And I was like, this is great. I'll squat and deadlift all day because those are the numbers that make me feel big and strong. So I was back squatting, doing the CrossFit football program. And I was in, I don't know, my third or fourth set when I got to the bottom of the back squat and tried to come back up. So try to get out of the hole. And as I was ascending, I was coming back up something in my low back snapped. It like cracked my whole hips shifted to the left and I collapsed underneath the barbell. So totally fell over, like collapsed underneath. Thank God there was catches up. So it caught the bar, the bar didn't roll on my neck or anything, but I physically could not stand up off the ground. I was in not a lot of pain when I was just laying there, but trying to move and trying to actually stand more erect and actually lift my chest up was impossible. So I had to be walked out. I, essentially didn't stand up for three days until one of my friends knew of a chiropractor in town who was like, yeah, I'll, I'll see you. I don't know what's going on. I had never really had a full on back injury ever. I had been having a little bit of pain my whole life, but nothing that I knew was any different. It was just my day-to-day -day life. It was nothing that I complained about, nothing that I had talked about because I didn't, I didn't realize that it wasn't a normal thing. To me, it was totally normal. So then I went into this chiropractor because by this time I was having pain in my right hip that's what felt weird to me is when I was walking, my right hip just felt kind of shifty and out of place. So I was like, Oh, my right hip probably just shifted out. Maybe he'll just pop me back in and then I'll be able to go back and compete in the open and everything will be fine. This will be great. 
So he saw me at the end of the week. I think it was like Friday-ish now. I saw him. He asked if I had ever had an x-ray or MRI or anything on my spine because he saw how much trouble I had even just walking into his office. I couldn't lay on the table. He had to get me a chair because I couldn't actually like lift my body up. So then he was like, before I touch you, like we're going to get an x-ray. We're going to see what's going on. And then we'll kind of work from there. So I said, okay. So I got the x-ray. He came back in. I'm still like sitting in my chair, just waiting for him to pop me back in so I can go move on with my life. And he essentially like literally pulls up a chair next to me, sits down and is like, we need to talk about this. And at that time, obviously immediately I knew that he's not just going to pop my hip back in. Like if he's sitting down next to me and like trying to be nice, clearly there's an issue. Well, can, can I ask you a question? Yes. What went through your mind in that moment? Because as, as the guy on the other side of that conversation, most of the time. Yeah. That's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Like for, 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 from a doctor patient relationship, giving a patient bad news is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that there's any way that he could have done it to make me feel any better because me coming from, it was almost worse because I was in the middle of the first competition of the new sport that I loved and I was excited to get back to and I was already doing well. So if this had come, like when I hadn't started competing, I think I would have felt differently about it than in this moment. But in this moment, I was currently in third and I had three more weeks and I was getting good at the thing that I wanted to then get good at. So it was, I mean, it was, I was kind of terrified, like, cause I didn't, I, I didn't know what to expect. And when all I knew is that back injuries are terrible things and they're career ending. And the only thing that I'd ever heard from anyone who'd ever had a back injury, that it's this awful, painful thing that never goes away. And a lot of old people got it and they can't walk. And like, I didn't, I didn't know. So when he tells, when he comes back in holding my extras in his hand, hadn't even put him up on the light board yet. And then essentially sits next to me to calm me down and say, we need to talk about this. I mean, I was terrified. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So I just tried to listen to him. And then he starts essentially spitting off all these big words that I didn't know anything about, which at the time was scoliosis, spina bifida and spondylolisthesis. So then he like tries to very slowly explain these things to me and then puts my x-ray up on the whiteboard so that I can see it. And he's trying to show me everything. But at this time I had heard of scoliosis before. I thought that spina bifida was where you had your spinal cord growing out of your body. So I didn't understand how I was going to have that. And then I couldn't even understand what he was saying when he was saying spondylolisthesis. So at this time, while he's explaining all these things, there's no way that I was actually comprehending any bit of it. Right. So I wish like if I was at the time, I wish he like maybe walked out for a second, let me reprocess. Cause while he was trying to explain all of this to me, there's no way I listened to a word of it because all I was thinking in that moment was like, your, your athletic life is over. That's, inter- that's interesting that you, that you would have wanted to walk out. I would never, I, w- I would never in my life think to let me just walk out and give this person a moment. Yeah. And that's knowing me, if I could have just had just a second, because he was like, these are three spinal like conditions that I need to talk to you about. And you have all three of them and they're all interacting with each other. So no, I'm not going to help you. But then he immediately was like, well, let me show you. And then puts it like, he had just told me that I have these three things wrong with my spine, that he's not going to adjust me, that it's going to be a long process. And then it's like, okay, well, let me give you all the scientific details on scoliosis, spina bifida, and spondy. So when you say those things to me and I'm an athlete, like I just need, I mean, I'm crying already. So like, he doesn't know, I think he was like, we're just going to talk about it (laughs) because he didn't, I wouldn't have known either what to do, but if I would have just like had three seconds to like 
okay. And like calm myself down a little bit. And then I could have actually listened to what he was saying, but I had to go home and Google and research and talk to everybody else because I had no idea what he'd actually told me in that office. The only thing that I knew that he told me in that office was that he was not going to fix me. Nothing was getting better. And the open was over essentially was all I got Mm -hmm. out of that. So left his office. It was the end of my school season, uh, my school year. I did not do the rest of the open, obviously. So I was out of the open for three weeks in. I went home. I went to the, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. That's where I was born and raised. So I went to the UofL spinal and back doctor, the one that treats the football players, the baseball players, because that's who I got a referral to, who essentially took an MRI, showed me the MRI, confirmed the same thing, and then confirmed from the MRI that the discs between my L4 and L5 and my L5 and L1 were slightly bulging. Um, and I think they had some kind of degeneration in them as well at the time. So he essentially just confirmed the scoliosis, spina bifida and spondylolisthesis that the chiropractor had told me, and then told me about the disc issues on top of those things, which were not surprising based off of the other three conditions at just, the time. Just because most of the people listening probably don't know, I'd like to take a second to clear up what those three things are. Yes, because exactly. you're saying it and I'm seeing it and, and you know what it is, but I yep. want them to be able to, to empathize with what you were going through. So yep. scoliosis is just any kind of an abnormal curvature of the spine. Could be to the left, could be to the right, could even be too far forward or too far back, but those are much more rare. Um, spina bifida is going to be any place where the bone is not fully developed so that the spinal cord is exposed to the the internal elements of the body. Now, there's other types of spina bifida that are much more complex, where the spinal cord does come outside of the body and coil up, and that's a that's a big problem, much more dangerous. But um, spina bifida is actually not that uncommon the way that you have it. Right. Um, and then spondylolisthesis is when a spinal bone will actually shift out of place and move forward or back anterolisthesis being when it moves forward, retrolisthesis being when it moves back. All three of those things um, lead to potential instability in the spine. And that is that is what you most likely were dealing with. So I want to make sure that people who are listening understand now, start picturing in your mind, scoliosis is an abnormal curve. Yep. And I'm C-curve to the left. So if you're looking at the spine, I curve a little bit to the left. Okay. So Lindy's curve. So, so if you're, if you're, so the apex of your curve is to the left? Yeah. Okay. So that means that you might you might lean a little bit over the top of that with your thoracic spine. Yeah. Um, and then the spondylolisthesis, I imagine you're an anterior your your anterior lysthesis, uh, right? Antero. Yes. So the, yep. the bone has slid forward. Um, and was that due to a fracture? I had a, I have a fracture on either side. Right. So the, there's there are there are mechanisms in place to keep the bone locked to where it's supposed to be, and when those break when they, they usually from insufficiency, meaning that the bones are just worn down, um, the bone can slide forward and that creates some instability. So that's what we were dealing with. Yeah. So once I Googled and actually learned all these things, I'm sure he told me all of those wonderful facts as well in the office, but I was not listening to him in any way, shape or form. All I essentially, so I left him, went home, had the MRI, was confirmed all three of those things. That was the doctor that told me, okay, like, what do you do? Where did this come from? What happened? I told him about CrossFit. I told him about playing soccer. And he said to me at the time, we're going to rest six months. You're going to do nothing. You're going to wear this bone stimulator on your low back to try to speed up the healing process of the two fractures that you have in the pedicles on either side of your bone. 
of that L5 vertebrae, which is the same vertebrae that has the spina bifida in it. So essentially, again, for people that are at home, that vertebrae at this point is in three pieces. So it's the body of the bone, the spina bifida, which is the part of the bone that never fused that Dr. Sean was talking about earlier, is in that same vertebrae. And now it's, it was broken on either side. So the L5 vertebrae was in three pieces as opposed to the one big strong vertebrae that it's supposed to be at the base of your spine. So he was like, we're going to wear this bone stimulator every day for 20 minutes. You're not going to do any exercise beyond going on some walks around your neighborhood. And then in six months, you'll come back. We'll re-MRI. We'll see where you are. And then we can kind of take it from there. So, of course, I work in a gym at this time, naturally. So I'm just sitting around. And that's when I started <laughs> reading Harry Potter, honestly. That's when I read all the series was that summer because I rested my six months I did absolutely nothing. I swept the gym and I waited around and wore a bone simulator until six months later, I go back to the same doctor. I get the same MRI. The results are essentially the same, except for the fact that the L5 vertebrae where the fracture had happened on either side, those bones are now rounded off, but they did not fuse together at all. So the edges of the bone healed, but essentially just made it even harder for the bone to heal back to one big piece because they rounded off the edges. So now they're not, they're touching, but they're not actually fused together in any way. So from there, he then goes on to tell me that the options essentially are have surgery and try to manually force that bone back together and get it back into the place that it's going to be except for the fact that since your body did not do a very good job of healing itself on its own, there's no guarantee that if we put screws in it, that it's going to accept the screws and that you're going to be better off. We may just have to go back in and take the screws out. So that was not a good option to me. I did not think that that was the best option to have because I didn't want them to go dig around in there with their fingers crossed that hopefully something was going to get better. So I told him kind of immediately that didn't, that's not really an option what else is there? And at this point he was like, okay, I'm telling you that squatting's not for you. You're never going to be able to do this again. Like you're not going to be successful. You're only going to hurt yourself more and that you should definitely find something else to do because CrossFit is a terrible idea for you. He knew what it was at the time because he was a sports doctor. He had heard of it. So I was like, okay, I hear you. What if I don't listen to you? And if I go do CrossFit anyway, like then what would you tell me? And he is like, well, so the thing is, well, so you, you asked him that. Oh yeah. Straight up asked him. It's like, so if I don't listen to you now, what? So, which then he goes on to tell me, which is essentially probably, honestly, the reason maybe why I ended up doing CrossFit again anyway, because then he goes on to tell me, here's the thing. You have essentially two options for the rest of your life. If you don't have surgery, this is, this is the way that your body is. We rested for six months. This is how it is. Nothing is essentially going to change. So you can do CrossFit. You could, you could potentially hurt yourself. You could have much more pain. You could break another bone. We could ruin these discs. Terrible things could happen. Or you could just live your daily life and those same things could happen. You could hurt yourself more. We could injure another disc. Something else could happen. You could step funny. You could trip and fall down the stairs. These same results could happen. If you don't do CrossFit, you may be in pain every single day. If you don't do CrossFit, you may not be in pain every single day. He was like, so really the moral of the story is that I don't know exactly what's going to happen to you, nor do I have the best advice as to if CrossFit's going to make it worse or if it CrossFit's going to make it better. But what I'm saying is that you could be in pain every day, no matter if you do CrossFit or you don't. He was like, so essentially the decision is yours. I hope I never see you again because of that. <laughs> but like, 
I like good luck to you. He was, so basically, he was functioning as a risk management provider. He, yes. Right. So he's telling me like, I have to tell you not to do this, but I don't really know what's going to happen to you. I was like, okay, great. So then I leave there with that knowledge. And now, now thinking if he's telling me that I could live in pain every single day, no matter what, even if I don't do CrossFit, if I become the things that he wants me to become, if I become a swimmer instead, I could still be in pain every single day. What's the point of not trying? Like, why, why should I not at least give it a try? That's the sport that I had fallen in love with. This is what I wanted to do. I was an exercise science major at the time. So I knew at least the basis of exercise and how to protect your spine and how to do strengthening movements. I was a personal trainer. So like, I knew that if I was careful enough, I could at least give it a test and see what happens and see if I could be more successful and kind of take some of that pain away on my own, as opposed to just giving up whatever, this is the injury, this is what's happening, this is my life now, and trying to find something else to do. I kind of just wasn't willing to give up on it that easily when it when it wasn't a definite that it was going to be a terrible thing for me. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah, no, of course it does. And I mean, listen, it, it, in the end of the day, you ended up getting one of the coolest pictures that CrossFit's ever produced, running running that zip, that whatever, oh, yeah. the, the, I forget what they, the zigzag sprints. Right. So I essentially took that information slowly worked back up. This is now the end of 2012. So no, no, no. The end of 2011. So 2012, in the end of 2011, I start very slowly working back up. I'm only doing strict this, strict that, no kipping, no heavy lifting, no front squatting, no back squatting, like nothing over 95 pounds. And then the open comes back around. I'm like, I'm just going to give it a go again, compete in the open, have gotten all my fitness back, was able to do it well enough qualified for regionals. So competed at regionals and was just thrilled beyond imaginable that I was even there. Like I couldn't believe that a year ago it had been all taken away from me. And that a year later it's 2012 now. And I'm finally competing at regionals, which is what I was hoping to do last year. I can't believe that I'm actually there. Did well enough at regionals to place in the top 10. And, at and some, something to add to that too, is that I think 2011 to 2012 might've been the biggest, um, percentage-wise growth that the CrossFit Open ever had. Oh, really? It, it, either, it was either 11, 11 to 12 or 12 to 13. Because yeah. I remember it was like, whoa, there's 100 and something thousand people doing this now, where the year before was like 20 something thousand. Yeah. So, so it's huge. Right. So, yeah. so, so qualifying, really qualifying was even harder. Right. Yeah. So going into 2012, yeah, I was just, I was stoked about the fact that I was there and I was competing and I had a number on my arm and like, I couldn't wait. Like I was so excited to just be there, but then finishing regionals in 2012, I was able to play, I think I got seventh in the top, in the region overall. And at this time, only the top three qualified, but I was like, man, if I've only been training for five months at this point, and I was able to qualify and to get seventh at regionals when I haven't done deadlift, I haven't done back squatting. Like I haven't hardly done anything then maybe the actual dream of going to the games at some point is not gone. Like maybe I can actually do this. So once regionals came over, I had a, I had a coach at the time who was a really good friend of mine who essentially agreed to work with me between 2012 to 2013 to try to get me. He said he believed in me, which was huge for me, that he believed in me. He would help me. He would help me deal with all the, the, pain and the stress of my back. And he would help guide me through all of those frustrations for the next year with the anticipation that I was able to qualify in 2013, or at least give it 110% effort and then see what happens. So then I worked with him from 2012 to 2013 and then ended up qualifying for the games in 2013 for my first year. And that's all. <laughs> that's, all that's all that happened. That's it. No big deal. Um, that's awesome. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, I think that, that, 
I think you have it anyway, innately, the ability to relate to people. But um, I think that that experience allows you to really create some commonality with people who, who don't recognize it. You can relate to them. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, okay, well you're a games athlete. How hard has it ever really been for you? And you're like, well, let me tell you right. about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I can actually like, I, and people can trust in me when I say like, I know how frustrated you are. Trust. Like I know those feelings you're having. I know how hard it is. Cause I, I mean, I still have hard days. I still have days that I can't, you know, pick up the barbell in, and it feels like a thousand pounds or it still hurts. And I still have to rest longer than I want to, because I'm still day to day dealing with the injury that people are also dealing with. They're just fresher to it. I've just had more experience with it, but I've had the same frustrations, anxiety, stressed out days. Like I know exactly how they're feeling because I've literally been in that situation. I know how you feel today. And this is how I got out of it. This is what I think about on those days that I still have. So it's a little bit easier. I think that people are like, Oh, you really do. Like you actually do know how frustrating this is. It wasn't, it didn't just come easy to you. And all of a sudden you were snatching 175 pounds. Like I remember the struggle. I still have the days that I struggle to snatch whatever the weight is or that it feels like nothing is going right in the world or that all of a sudden you lost all your strength. Like I know what it feels like because I've had to come back down and rebuild so many times in the last five years because I've pushed a little bit too far that I now know how far is too far. I know how to tell you that's too much for this week or that's too much post your chain activation for today. Like we don't need to do that much because I've tested all those things and I know those days, what to pair, what movements to pair together, what not to pair together. Cause I've tested it all. So, so I know how to tell people that's too much or no, we can actually push a little harder. Today. So, so that brings up an interesting question, right? Which is people might or might not know that you're, you're on a CrossFit team. That's pretty good. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and you have a guy on that team who typically responds well to really, really high volume. His name is Rich Froning, if people haven't yes. heard of him. <laughs> now you're on a team. I am. And you know when too much is too much for yourself. I do. What do you do when you've had enough, but the team isn't done? So <laughs> before I ever said yes to 100%, I will absolutely be on your team. I needed to make sure that I had a conversation with Rich about this is how my body is. I, in all of my CrossFit life, have always rested at least two days a week. Leading into that time, I had always rested Thursdays and Sundays fully because at the training that I was doing as an individual, I knew that my body was not going to do well and my back was not going to handle it if I trained at the intensity that I was training six days a week. I needed, I needed those two days of rest. So when I told him that, he really was like, he's very and this is kind of a reoccurring thing with him that he trusts in you as an athlete to do what you need to do to take care of yourself and be your best. And he does that with all of us. So when I came in and told him that he literally was like, listen, it's obviously been working for you. So I'm not going to mess with it. If that's what's gotten you to be the athlete that you are today. So whatever it is that you need to do, that's what you need to do to take care of yourself. As long as when it comes game time, you show up as the athlete that I'm expecting you to show up at, which is essentially what the conversation was, which I expected and I knew. And so it's funny because that very first year, I obviously get wrapped up in competition because I'm who I am. So there was definitely days that I did too much volume or that I didn't want to miss out or that I wanted to just do that extra workout because everyone else was doing it. But as the year went on and I got more comfortable with the team and they got more comfortable with me, there's absolutely days and there definitely is, especially even more this year, 
that Lindy's done and everybody knows that Lindy's done (laughs) (laughs) and Lindy's packing up her stuff and they're like, Oh, like, are you done? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going home. Like I'm done for today. That was too much. So then they like all kind of laugh at me, but especially the first year, it was really hard for me to do that because I didn't know if it was accepted. I didn't know if it was offensive, but especially this year, it's like, okay, well, Lindy's not going to do anymore. Or we'll, they'll write another workout up and literally look at me and be like, are you going to do this? Or, and I'm like, eh, nah, like, I'm going to go home. You guys do whatever you want. But that's becoming more of a reoccurring theme to the end. Like before regionals, the last couple of years, year one, last year was funnier because we would get to regionals. Rich doesn't, Rich and most of the team don't understand what rest days are. They don't think that they exist, nor do they think that they're helpful at all. I am completely the opposite. And I like two, if not three, full on complete chilling by the pool rest days before I compete, because I feel better when I haven't done anything for a couple of days, because it just gives my whole body time to relax and gives my back time to like decompress. They like to compete after having done hard workouts because they feel all more ready to go. So literally last year we go up to Columbus five days beforehand. So for a week before we competed at regionals last year in Columbus and they are in a gym working out and I am legitimately outside laying by the pool and they keep coming out to me like, are you really not doing anything? And I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm fine. I'm going to lay here. So I've had, they've started to adapt to know that I will show up on game day if you just give me the rest that I need. So this year especially was a very trustful, they knew that I was going to do whatever it was that I needed to do to be the athlete that they needed. And I was never going to risk that for anything, even if that means I'm not going to do the workout you're doing because I know it's best for me to not do it. I know that doing that workout will put me over the ledge and will make me a worse athlete tomorrow than I would be. So he started to realize that quite a bit and knows that I know the level of volume that I can handle. But it is same kind of thing. It just kind of took like a trust relationship in the beginning of, I promise you, this is what I need. And once he started to actually like see the physical ramifications of that and knew that, oh, she's right. Like she's actually better if she doesn't. Now it's, it's not even a question. If I'm not going to do it, then I'm not doing it. And he's not going to try to force me into it because he knows that that's what I need. I remember when we were early in this season, I think it was, it might've been after the open. It was either after the open or before the open. And I got a text from somebody who knew I was working with you and they were like, Hey, Mayhem is doing a thousand wall balls for time as a team and the ball <laughs> yeah. can't touch the ground. Should Lindy yeah. be doing that? And I was like, definitely not. And I like, looked my, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like in the moment, I'm like, I got to rush and tell her no, assuming that you probably wouldn't anyway. But I'm like, yeah. how do I tell her she shouldn't do this knowing the relationship that she might have with her team? Yeah not upset it was like it was like this this hodgepodge of communication that went through my head and and then I texted you and you're like yeah no I'm not doing this yeah I'm not doing that (laughs) (laughs) that was was exactly how it went they were like because mayhem is known for doing like big long ridiculous workouts like it's just kind of like they come up with these terrible ideas that don't even seem like realistic (laughs) and then they do them that day in particular and I've participated in some of those things but that day in particular, I was like, wait, you guys are doing what? And they're like, we're going to do a thousand wall balls and it's going to be great. We're going to go back and forth and everybody's doing 500. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> they were like, but it'll be fine. And this guy needs a partner. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy, but I'm not doing it. I'm going home. Right. That was one of those days that I was like, yeah, I'm not, that's not something that'd be good for me. That was a I good want. idea. Yeah. But so, so now I want to kind of bring this back to the people who are in their gym. You know, it's, you are wise enough and experienced enough in yourself to say, okay, Lindy's had enough. 
people go to their gym and they think that the only way to get better is to work hard, to be on their back and to be exhausted after every single workout. And if they miss yeah. a Tuesday and their friend went, their friend has got a leg up on them. How do you coach the mindset of that might not be the best thing in the world for you? It's really hard. That's the hardest thing. And honestly, it's the hardest thing because it's still hard for me as an athlete. So it's hard for me as an athlete to tell you, you need to stop doing something when I am very guilty of doing something that potentially I know hmm, maybe I shouldn't be doing. So I know like there's a fine line still with me, especially in, in the midst of heavy season to convince myself to get out of the gym and to tell yourself, yes, that is good enough. Yeah, I'm good there. When you start to feel beat up enough, then it's a much easier decision because you just don't feel like doing anything anymore. But when it's the beginning of the season or it's during the open, it's a much harder thing to keep saying no because you feel good enough at that point in the season that you just want to keep going. So I still have to have these same kind of conversations with myself as I have to have with my athletes as a, it's just a, just because you're not doing anything doesn't mean that you're not contributing to your overall goal in the long run. Going, not going into the gym today will potentially be better for you as an athlete. And you will come out better on Wednesday if you rest on Tuesday, because then if you go in on Tuesday and you've worked out the last four days, that workout on Tuesday could be more detrimental to your overall fitness than it actually would be if you just hung out and ate good food and rested today. So it's a, it's a really fine line to be able to tell people because I still struggle with it myself, which is just the realistic part of it. But it, once I kind of get them at least tone down the volume of whatever that Tuesday is. If you just feel like you have to go in and you have to sweat in some way, great. But let me give you like a rowing, biking, cardio session that will still get you out of breath, will still get you really sweaty, but we're not going to put heavy load on you. We're not going to do any kind of spinal loading. Like I can kind of like ease people in a little bit that way with, if you feel like you have to go do something, I will give you something that will make you feel tired by the end of the day, but that's not going to, not, it's not going to deter from our overall goal for this week that you're not going to go in there and I don't want you to go to your class wide because I don't know what your class wide is. And if it's something that I'm planning on giving you tomorrow and you just don't even tell me, then we're going to completely take back steps instead of constantly moving forward. So why don't I give you something that's not going to be detrimental to the whole week? And then that's a little bit easier for people to wrap their minds around, at least in the beginning until the workouts start to get a little bit harder and they get stronger, which means that their volume can increase a little bit. Then they're tired enough by those rest days that they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm ready. Like I'm ready to take a rest day. So once you kind of get to that point in their training, it's a lot easier to convince them out of it. It's in the beginning when they're excited and they're ready and they're like, oh, I want to do more. And I'm so out of shape. And if I don't go in that you kind of have to just tweak their programming a little bit to, to give them the, the exhausted feeling that they want without the negative effects on the training that you've been giving them throughout the rest of the week. We call it a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Good old, good old Mary Poppins for their win. It's exactly what it is. Like, fine, I'll give you something, but I'm going to make sure it's hard enough that you don't want to do any more, but that it's not going to, it's not going to negatively affect the rest of the progress we've made. Right. And, and, and there, I think that there's, especially in the beginning, there's a lot of trust that needs to be had for people to buy into that because it's like, yeah. well, you know, everyone else is doing this. And even in the gym we do for quality pieces and they're oftentimes they're quiet days when we do for quality day at the gym, but we still do for quality day at the gym. Right. And so this it's is hard because of the mindset of CrossFit and the way that people talk about it and you have to die and you have to, you got to look terrible at the end of a workout and like, you're not sweating and you have to take all your clothes off. And like the way that like we just portray the like crazy badass fitness, people feel like they, they have to have that every single day they walk into the gym. 
Like mm-hmm. if they're not crawling out, they feel like it wasn't a productive session. So you kind of have to like play with them a little bit that there's days that that's appropriate, but that's not ever, ever going to happen every single day. It's well, just not realistic. The first conversation I ever had with another barber, I don't know if you ever met Pat Barber. Pat Barber, yeah. But I mean, he, that's a guy who, I mean, he challenges me every time we talk and I love it. Yeah. But the first conversation we ever had was I told him, I was like, CrossFit's problem. Well, he actually came to me to have a bone to pick with you because I made a post once that said constantly varied movement executed at varied intensities. And I highlighted the second varied because CrossFit says high intensity. And yeah. he was like, I have a bone to pick with you. So we talked about it. But um, it was interesting because, yeah, people are people get after as hard as they can every single time that they go because they think that the intensity of, of output is what needs to happen where it's sometimes it's output. Sometimes it's, we've talked about this in the past, right? Being, being tough sometimes means saying no. Yeah. Uh, and that's intense, right? The, the conver- hard. So hard. Yeah. The conversation so when it's hey, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do a thousand wall balls for time. That's intense. That's it. Yeah. For some people, the conflict of that conversation and the internal dialogue is, is, is intense. So yeah. uh, kudos to you for pulling it off. Thanks. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. Definitely we not all work. are. We all are. <laughs> but um, I want to be respectful of your time. And I have, I want to acknowledge you also before, before we go, right? When I first started working with you, it was like last December or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And um, everyone who comes on, I care about, right? We, we bring people on and everybody is important. There's no one who's like, oh, it's just another person who's buying programming. But um, as I've come to know you, I have a lot of admiration for the way that you're able to glue people together, right? I mean, and I don't mean physically, I mean, emotionally and socially, it's just people, you're very, very easy to trust, right? And then you back that trust up with quality, both, hey, I promise I'll be there on game day and then being there on game day and, hey, I can help you through this and then helping people through it, Yeah. right? So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I love, I honestly love it. I love getting the connections and having connections with people and getting to know people more personally on a one-on-one level. So it really, it means a lot to me and I really appreciate that. No problem. I'll I'll leave with one quick story and then you can, if you have anything to add, you can, you can add it. But I mean, I can't, I've probably told a hundred people or more this story and it's only been what, like a month and a half. Yeah. Of the, no, not even a month, three weeks of the workshop story. Right. We had someone, oh, at our, yeah. we had someone at our last workshop who you're sitting there like, Oh God, what's he going to say? I know. I was like, what's <laughs> no, what we had somebody at our last workshop who had had a very similar injury to what you had. And it was, she needed surgery. It was, it was unstable. And if she didn't get surgery, there was danger for her. So she got the surgery and then she came out and her doctors told her no more, no more, no more. Um, but she knew that she could. She just knew that they were trying to do the best thing for her in terms of risk management, as we said before. And she's and she told me she didn't know I worked with you. And she's like, I've messaged with Lindy Barber before, and you know she hasn't been able to get back to me. But I'm sure she gets so many messages. She has like a hundred thousand followers, and you know I can't imagine how many messages she's getting. And then I messaged you at lunch. I'm like, hey, do you want to make this girl's day? We can we can Facetime with her, and she's been trying to reach out to you. And you said, yeah, absolutely. And it, it did like it, it made her day. It made her husband's day. You talked to her for like 10 minutes and she, she beamed for the rest <laughs> of the weekend. Like it, it was, it was awesome because she became the biggest advocate for us in the room 
because of what you were able to do for her, which That's was so cool. which was really cool. I love that. And I hate, I also like hate, it still like makes me cringe that she tried to reach out and I didn't get back to her because I hate like, and again, it's like whatever, but I do get a whole lot of messages and I try to reply to as many of them as I can, but just by the nature of the way that they come in and the way that social media filters them, I don't get to see them all. So being able to talk to somebody who had tried to reach out that I missed was like, I mean, it's the best if I could. And I love that part of regionals and competing. That's one of my favorite parts of all of it is when the competition's over or the day's over, I get all these people that come up to me and they know who I am, not necessarily because of the team I'm on or the fact that I was an individual, but they heard my story. They started CrossFit because I didn't give up and they don't want to give up either. And I love hearing that stuff. I mean, it just makes me want to continue to compete, not just for myself and because I love competing and being a competitor, but also because I love to constantly be hearing from people that, I was part of the reason why they didn't give up and why they went back into the gym or why they thought that CrossFit was even a possibility for them in the more anymore. And I am just so thankful that I've had that opportunity to be able to talk to you and to meet and to reach that many people to give them hope for their own life and their own struggles that they can overcome. Cause it's just, I mean, that's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing that that's happened to me in this sport is meeting those people over and over and over again by far. It's a pretty cool thing. So cool. Yeah, and I, and <laughs> I, ima- I imagine also that when people are messaging you, you're not writing back yes, no. You're probably <laughs> giving thought to the question that they're asking and giving thought to the answer that you're providing, which means it takes more time, it takes more energy. And I, you know, I'm sure that everyone who gets a response is, is, is thinks it's valuable. I hope so. I yeah. try. I love it. Yeah, and listen, for the people who don't get through the first time, do it again. It, it, it doesn't yeah, mean exactly. that it was ignored. Right. right. I, just, I promise you, I just didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Lindy. Um, we've gotten through a lot and you've been very helpful. I hope that people are inspired by this, that they learn from this, that they can be actionable from it. Is there anything that, that I didn't give you the chance to, to tell people that you would like to? No, just constantly thank you for all of your support, kind words and actions. And I hope to meet as many of you as possible in the next however many years I'm competing. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I love having you on. Thank you, Lindy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Active Life podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating so that we can grow and reach and help more people. If you're looking for more from me and my team, head to performancecarerx.com. All the help you're looking for is right there. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and the process is the goal.